Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, dudes, what's up, guys? John Anik Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Uh, here are your hosts, I guess, if if we must be here. We are here. Uh, not looking forward to this today, but... We're a UFC podcast, thank God. Monday, February 5, 2018, episode 142 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Super Bowl 52 is done. Eagles 41, Patriots 33. I don't know what to say, man. Uh, listen, it, it was a good game. It was exciting. I thought there were some questionable calls. Uh, but it, it seemed like Philly was just playing with just that little bit more uh, passion uh, in the game, and, and they really went for it. You know, I saw your tweet, and a lot of people were saying this isn't a team uh, in the Patriots that you can kind of play it safe against. Um, right. And so, kudos to the Eagles for really bringing it and 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 going for it and trying some unique plays and and just being aggressive every single second of that game. And I think that was the difference uh, in my unprofessional football opinion. No, I. But think uh, it was it was a great game, stuff. dude. It was a great game. It was an amazing Super Bowl. I, I wish I could have enjoyed watching it more. I think when you're a sports fan and you're as invested as some of us are, right. it's just high anxiety, yeah. right? It, it's a painful experience. I'm starting to think maybe actually going to the Super Bowl might be easier than watching it on TV and perseverating over over calls and details like that. But mm-hmm. I thought the better team won. I felt very early on in the game flow that, that Philadelphia was the better team, and I was very nervous early. Uh, and this is a fan base you know, uh, it's rabid and they deserve it as far as I'm concerned. You know, oh, we've sure. experienced a lot of championships. As you texted me this morning, let's not get greedy, right? You can't win them all. And that made me feel a little bit better. Not that yeah. much better. But, you know, <laughs> to Nick Foles and Nelson Aguilar making all those plays in the passing game and, and the kicker coming up with a big kick late to sort of seal the win and make it very hard for the Patriots on that final drive. And to Doug Peterson, right? People asked me my opinion of the game. I said they got a head coach who's going to be aggressive. He knows he's got to put up a 40 spot to beat the Patriots mm-hmm. and that's exactly what they did and uh man is that going to be one parade on tuesday so we'll do a lot of super bowl stuff today brian stan paul felder two lifelong philadelphia eagles fans 
They're going to join us today. We'll talk about the Super Bowl bet with Brian Stan. He bailed on the stakes, so we'll get into that and what the new bet was. Uh, oh, man. So I'm not getting my ear pierced, but if people want me to do that, I have no problem doing it. It's Stan who who suggested the bet and then ultimately flaked on it. But uh, for, for a city like Philadelphia, I just want to say, and we go to so many great places around this world on this UFC beat, but for a city like Philadelphia, last pro football championship in 1960, Phillies won it in 2008. But this is the National Football League. I hate when people say National Football League, right? But this is the NFL. And for Philadelphia fans, as passionate as they are, to get to experience this, and I would encourage all of you to go to the parade, it's just a special, special thing. So as much as this pains me, you know, I went to college in Pennsylvania. I have so many friends who are Eagles fans. There is a small part of me that that really is genuinely happy for them here on Monday morning, kid. Yeah, no, for sure. I got a bunch of buddies in Philly, and, and they're all going nuts. Um, I, I was happy for them. It's as passionate a sports town you will find in this country. Boston, of course, one of the top sports uh cities uh in the country and, and philly's right there with them man and, and they've been waiting for this for a very long time uh they deserve it so uh congrats all my friends in philly man i know our ufc senior producer lappy laplant you might as well turn the podcast off right now if you're listening he hates when i talk about the the championship success of boston right yeah. but to put it in perspective maybe for some of our international listeners and these are just facts right since february of 2002 there have been 10 championship parades through the streets of boston right so that's 17 years. Basically, you got a 58% chance you're getting a championship parade and a title from one of the four major teams every year, right? So mm-hmm. we have been spoiled. We recognize that. We understand it's a great sports town with great executives and people <laughs> do want to play for the teams. Um, but I'm happy for Philadelphia, and uh, a lot of the show is going to be obviously devoted to that. We, lo- we lost a few thousand listeners right there, just right there. Yeah, just, let you just know. click. Yeah. Head wherever you got to go. But uh, <laughs> congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to do a lot of that stuff today. A couple UFC headlines off the top before we do bring in Brian Stan. So Max Holloway has never pulled out of a UFC fight before, forced to do so here. His title defense against Frankie Edgar may be postponed. Seems like Edgar wants to stay on that March 3rd date. I just thought Holloway handled himself with a lot of class after the fact. You know this is the type of fighter that would go in there with a hairline fracture, right? And he couldn't make the walk here. We'll see what they do about March 3rd and a possible headliner. But uh, that fight has been on the books twice, Kenny. It hasn't happened yet, and it's not going to happen March 3rd. I know. I, I was kind of bummed hearing that news. And, and absolutely, absolutely, you know, Max Holloway is one of those guys um, that is always going to show up. He's as reliable as any champion out there. Um, this is a guy who has competed at not 100% before, um, and I think that he really wanted this fight. This is a fight that a lot of people have been looking forward to. This is a, a unique matchup for Max Holloway. He hasn't fought someone quite like Frankie Edgar. Um, I was looking forward to this. Um, hopefully we see it at, at, at some point. Um, I'm curious to see if Frankie does stay on the card. I know he wants to. I know they're working on an opponent for him. Uh, I'm curious if it's someone like, is it going to be an Ortega? Is it going to be someone uh, near at the top? Um, I'm curious to see how that goes down. Uh, But hopefully they make that Holloway and Frankie Edgar uh, fight happen in the near future. Yeah, I really want to see it. But I do think Edgar and Ortega has legs. I think that's the only fight really right now. I mean, Josh Emmett obviously has that main event coming up here down south in Orlando against Jeremy Stevens coming up later this month. But yeah, I think T-City is the guy if they do want to 
have that be the main event, a belt would not be on the line. Um, they're not going to do an interim title in that division right now, certainly. Um, but we'll see what happens. I do want to talk about TJ Dillashaw in this equation, right? Because it seems as though perhaps the UFC, Kenny, was trying to put together a fight between Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw or yeah. to have the Bantamweight Championship save the day here. And I just want to read this statement here from TJ uh, I think courtesy Brett Okamoto, ESPN, it took me two years to get a title shot back. Now they want me to defend it on four weeks notice. I have a five week old son. I'm not training. My camp is in California and I'm in Denver right now. And all this to face a guy who doesn't deserve a rematch to begin with. I lost a split decision to Dominic Cruz when I lost my belt. UFC told me they thought I won that fight and it still took me two years to get back to it. I had to wait through Cody's back injury last year. All the tough bullshit. I told the UFC I'm not doing it. I'm shooting for the DJ fight in July. So Hey, man, like, I, you know, I'm Team Dillashaw on this one, Ken Flo. I don't know if you fall on that side. I just feel like there is no upside to him stepping up on four weeks' notice. You will soon find out what it's like to have a newborn child at home. I yeah. know you're not active right now as a professional fighter, but even if you wanted to remove that from the equation, I just don't know that it makes any professional sense for Dillashaw to accept that rematch right now when the Demetrius Johnson fight seemingly still has legs and could land on a giant pay-per-view this summer. He would be a points getter as a defending champion. Uh, listen, I'm a huge Cody Garbrandt fight. I, I think that's a fight uh, that has to happen at some point. Um, just the excuse of having a five-week-old child, uh, I think, is a good enough excuse. Um, yeah, that you know, But he's right. Uh, listen, at the end of the day, he did he did knock out Cody in the second round. I totally get that. There's a lot of him. To, there's a lot of risk there for him to go out there and take this rematch um, on relatively short notice here. Um, TJ Dolshaw, now that he has the belt, you know, he wants to play it smart, and, and and why not? It took him a while to get this belt. I don't think he's going to go out there and, and take these risks and try to lose that again. Cody's a dangerous fight. That, that is also yeah. just a dangerous fight. I'm a huge fan of Cody, but I'm a huge fan of TJ as well. Um, and, and I think he's making the, the smart business decision here. Um, as a fighter... These belts can come and go very, very quickly. So you really have to make very intelligent choices when you take the fight, who you're going to take the fight against. Right. Um, and, and TJ, it has nothing to do with being scared. We know TJ will fight right. anybody at any time. But uh, th all these things in place just don't make a whole lot of sense, sense for him. And I do like Cody's willingness, of course. Right. right. I think we all can appreciate that. I don't always think that the, you know, fighters fight line applies, especially when you're talking about world champions sure. who, to your point, have to be calculated uh, in every decision that they make. All right. Plenty of UFC stuff today. We promise you we will get to Lyoto Machida's big win over Eric Anders, but the Super Bowl ended like 14 hours ago. So we're not going to ignore the elephant in the room, despite the fact that we are Patriots fans. We also don't want to keep the greatest living American uh, on hold. It's now time to take a stand with the All-American Brian Stan. The Anik and Florian podcast. <laughs> I, I will never, I will never get enough of that intro. It is so good. First of all, uh, the Photoshop. How did they fit Stan's big head on George Washington's body? How did they do it? I don't. It, it can't even fit in this square you guys got me on. <laughs> FaceTime. I mean, look at it. I don't know how they. Uh, they had well, to use some camera tricks to minimize. <laughs> Uh, well, Stan, you are in a good mood, my friend. Uh, you know, that that's why I threw a little shot at you. You know, I know if he's going to kill me, it's not going to be today. He's in a great mood. <laughs> and obviously, because the Philadelphia Eagles won. Congratulations, my friend. Dude, I, uh, 
honestly, I remember thinking to myself many times, it's just once in my lifetime, <laughs> this team that I have sat down and watched every play of every game since being a child could win a Super Bowl just once in my lifetime. Um, it was incredible. I mean, look, I proposed to my wife on the 50-yard line of their stadium. Wow. Uh, one of my closest friends in the world who was killed in Fallujah the last time I saw him was in that stadium when we went to an Eagles game together after my first deployment before he went on his second deployment. Um, so just there's, there's a lot of special things wrapped around that. And just not to mention uh, the shit you take for being an Eagles fan on a day-to-day -day basis. Everybody just loves to hate on the Eagles. And for whatever reason, last night, most of America wanted to cheer for him. Yeah. Um, but what a game. I mean, Doug Peterson, for two straight games, out-coached defensive-minded coaches. I mean, I think he's something special. And Nick yeah. Foles played lights out. It was amazing. Um, well, you guys won the game. You, you beat the New England Patriots to make it that much sweeter. And you beat John Anik in a bet. Yes. So aren't we glad we didn't do earrings, John? <laughs> Dude, I'll go get some diamond studs right now. I mean, I, you know, and if you guys want, you could just play that take a stand intro so we don't have to talk about it. You just play that on rip. Um, so, yeah, no, we're not getting our ears pierced. Uh, you, did you flake on the bed? Is that accurate or is that not the right verb? Uh, no, I think that is absolutely the right verb. You know, when I let that settle after I concocted the bed, <laughs> I realized, you know, if I lose this and I have to show up at my office, um, I've got to fly to Chicago to see my office there. Uh, I've got class weekend this week at Kellogg. I've got a massive meeting with my board and Morgan Stanley next week. I mean, it, having a, an earring in is probably not a good idea for me right now. However, having John Anik have to fly to Atlanta and wash my car and my bathrooms in a yep. Nick Foles jersey, that's a great idea. Can, can, can we add some jean shorts with that? Maybe like little frayed jean shorts. Play play Warren's cherry pie in the background as he washes the car in slow mo. My wife has her old cheerleading booty shorts, and she told me last night that is what John. He's so really? pissed, Brian. I don't know if you can see. He's so pissed right now. It's insane. He's genuinely all angry. right i'll wear the fucking shorts i'll wear the Foles jersey of course he lives in like a 10 bedroom eight bathroom home so i gotta wash like eight bathrooms detail the guy's car yeah, do all the cars all the cars. and i gotta fly to atlanta between now and the end of next year's super bowl which is in atlanta so uh hey, back, it might take me a year to get there but i'll make good on the bet so hey, hey at least you didn't get your legs waxed in some shady place in kansas yeah. That right. we found yeah. that we're the only place that would actually do a guy's legs. Yeah. Well, I got to get on a plane, but at least it's not to Perth. It's just a one hopper to uh, <laughs> to Atlanta. So so for a guy like you last night, I know it's a school night, right? And maybe they could make this a national holiday at some point in time. But no. I mean, a little brown liquor to celebrate. I mean, what does the greatest living American do when his Philadelphia Eagles come through for the first time in his lifetime? You know what? You know, there there is. Uh, I was emotional. I reflected on it, but I, I didn't do anything crazy. I mean, I had work yeah. the next day. I, I had a hard time sleeping. I got up this morning at 4.40 a.m. to go to the gym and get a sick workout in. Um, for me, I think the celebration is going to last for a solid seven months, to be quite honest. So yeah. I didn't yeah. need to go all out last night, um, but I will be celebrating this for, for a long time. It was great. I watched it with a bunch of, a bunch of good people. 
Everybody was going crazy. I mean, the intensity of the game and the big piece too is being in a location where you actually watch the game and you're not surrounded by people that are there just there socializing and gossiping and who want right. to see the commercials and not the game. That's what I'm grateful for. I was with people who were really into the game and we were all on the edge of our seats just going crazy. And for, for us to win when Tom Brady throws for over 500 yards, yeah. who would have thought? If you'd have told me he was going to throw for over 500 yards and you would have said, hey, do you think you'll still win? No way. Yeah, right. No, I thought Tom played great, really. I mean, yeah. he can't ask for much more. Obviously, he had the turnover late. Final thing on this, Brian, then we do want to get your thoughts on Anders Machida, time permitting, Rocco Romero coming up this weekend in Perth. But Doug Peterson, right? I know you mentioned his name. Thing got one vote for coach of the year. And people talk about having the cojones to, to play call like this, right? But it's more to me about his brain than his stones, right? He understands that to beat the Patriots, you got to put up 30, 40 points. And even though I didn't like him going for that two-point conversion early, I, I thought that was a bad decision. You, everything else he did was the right decision, was the aggressive one. And he, he played to win, which Jacksonville certainly didn't do two weeks ago. And I'll tell you what, he did it all season long. When you look at the odds and you break out the odds, I mean, going for it on fourth and short is actually it's the right thing to do. If you're in the middle of the field, it gives you the best odds. I mean, you should be able to convert on most fourth and twos and less. He did it all season long. He brought an attitude of aggression and belief in that locker room, and I think that that's where it stemmed from. When you have your franchise quarterback go down, that that team didn't give up on themselves. They actually they had a bigger chip on their shoulders because people wrote them off, and they had a chip on their shoulders thinking, you think Carson Wentz is all we have? And they wanted to prove something. And, I mean, it really, really shined all postseason long. And there was just something really unique about this team. And it starts with Doug Peterson. And I think, personally, I really think that we may have a coach now who could go down as one of the greats. You know, every, every, you know, every generation we have several great coaches. Belichick obviously being the best ever. Bill Parcells is up there. You have a lot of them. Andy Reid's a great coach. I think Doug Peterson is a guy that Philadelphia can, he, they can rely on for many, many years, and Howie Roseman showed off as a GM. When you yeah. look at all the transactions he did in a year, getting Alshon Jeffries, getting Nick Foles, some of those deals, I mean, absolutely incredible. Well, I don't think Anik and I really want to talk about this game uh, anymore, uh, to Enough. be honest. So uh, what would you think about this Machida-Anders fight, man? <clears throat> I hated it the minute I saw it in Really? And, and you look, I don't like to <laughs> criticize, it, 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 you know, some of these people are personal friends of mine, but I thought that that was a horrible decision from the start. I think the UFC is struggling to find headliners right now. And you get a kid like Eric Anders who can legitimately start to pull away mainstream sports fans to watch the UFC and watch this incredible athlete. Why you match him up? He's got a very small amount of fights. You're going to match him up against somebody as savvy and tricky as Leota Machida that early in a headliner in Brazil? What are you thinking? I, I, just, I just I don't agree with that decision. Eric Anders should have been at the Super Bowl yesterday doing radio row and days leading <laughs> up to it, coordinating with people from Fox, shooting videos, yeah. getting more eyeballs on him as an athlete to showcase to these main street or mainstream sports fans that the athletes in the UFC are that caliber now um, and build him up. You don't need to have him fight a guy. You know, you see in Ganu, they push too fast. They're pushing this guy too yeah. fast. They're not pushing Stipe enough. Um, it's a again. It's easy to to armchair quarterback these things, but uh, I thought that decision to me was just one of those things where, man, you're stretching. Let this kid develop, and he will turn into something. 
Um, and eventually he's going to have to fight all the best guys. But I thought Leota Machida is just that's too, way too soon for a kid that young. Yeah, you know, listen, I, I think Anders is going to learn a lot from this fight. He did go five rounds. But I, I agree with you. They're pushing guys a little bit too much. I won't – based on what you just said, I'm not going to ask you about the Shevchenko fight. But, uh, oh, my God. Oh but, my. but listen, man, I agree with you. Listen, you look like people like Sage Northcutt, Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt, these other people, that they're pushing too quickly. I've been saying this for a long time. Develop these guys. Guys, to develop them, put them in the right fights. You know, obviously Machida so much more experienced than Anders. So yeah, it was a kind of an odd decision, but he he did at least go five hard rounds. Oh, there's there's no doubt yeah. the kid's potential. I mean, if he was gonna lose a fight, that's the way to do it. You know, you don't you don't want it to be a, a fight where he gets knocked out or he takes any damage. But right. a situation like that, he did learn a lot from. And I understand the counter argument, right? If you're the fighter that's not getting pushed, not getting marketed. I get your argument. I get that you hate when the UFC may protect guys, but you have to understand at the end of the day, this is a business and this exists to make money and that's how you get paid. And if you're not somebody who can generate that kind of interest and that kind of viewership and, and get people to turn the dial and watch you fight, then you need to find a way to do that. And don't complain when you get guys that, and, and women that can do that. They're going to get pushed. And it behooves the UFC you know, to slow them down and let them progress so you can really get eyeballs, you know, on the screens and, and get a great TV deal. I just want to say one thing on that. Eric Anders called out Lyoto Machida Bry in his post-fight interview. Now, you know, promotionally, we love when these guys do the matchmaking for us, right? Yeah. But is the criticism also, or is there criticism also to be levied at, at Team Anders, right? Yes. Um, for you know, wanting this fight right now? I mean... John, you bring up such a great point. I wasn't aware of that. Yes, so you I, still bring up it, a great I still got it, bro. still got it. And uh, I'll tell you, I've said this for a long time. You've heard me say this. The managers in mm. MMA, right? We're, we are not talking about, uh, you know, high-level employees here, right? <laughs> you know, we can... I don't know who his manager is, so, you know, I know... It's actually some somebody who you very, really respect and like a lot, Jason House. It is a guy, yeah. They've got to learn to protect these guys, right? They don't yeah. have extensive business backgrounds, right? They've they've never before this job actually built a brand from scratch up to being a profitable business. And every one of these athletes is their own brand. And you've yeah. got to protect us from ourselves. I mean, we'll fight anybody, anybody right. at any given right. time. I was, you know, it, it's, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to fight so-and-so on this date. And I had a manager who would basically say, no, you're, this, this kid's not ready for that. And maybe he wouldn't tell me that because he didn't want to ruin my confidence. But when he communicated to Joe Silva, he would make sure that Joe Silva knew that and said, look, I don't think this is right for Brian at the time because I never turned a fight down. But I'm sure those conversations happen. And you've got to build. I mean, these kids, they have such a short window to make as much money as they can, as fast as they can, and for as long as they can. And if you push them too quick and you shorten that timeline, that window that they can fight in, and they make less money, that's what they're depending on for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. You, you guess what? You don't make a whole lot of money. And, and Kenny's you know, dealing with this now in, in the most expensive area of the country. But you don't make a whole lot of money when you open up your own gym you know, and, and try and make a living and live off that. You, you better be really good at running that business if that's your retirement plan as an athlete. Or you end up like me and have a completely second career where you've got to go right. get an MBA and you've got to invest a lot of money in what is going to be your second career. Good stuff there, Brian. Uh, do you have 30 seconds to give me a lean on Luke Rockhold and Yoel Romero? Rockhold right now minus 140, Romero plus 110. God, I'll tell you what, that is a tough one. You know, I just, I think that uh, I have a hard time, you know, it, 
I need to see that Luke Rockhold's chin can hold up to a guy who punches as hard as Romero. And I think you're going to see Romero be very cautious, knowing his gas tank is what it is. We're going to see a more cautious Romero. And I think it's essential that Luke Rockhold attack him with the body early. Um, but I, I could see Romero, you know, he just, he strikes, man, like lightning. I could see that happening inside of the first two rounds and maybe catching Luke. Um, although I think that Luke is by far the better fighter. Luke's one of the, the, the best athletes overall in the UFC. Um, yeah. He's such a complete fighter. And it's just unfortunate that, that he's taken some shots. And hopefully we could see his chin hold up again. But I could see Romero catching him. All right, man. Thank you very much. We'll let you get out of here. I know they're celebrating on the streets of Scranton, Pennsylvania and beyond. We congratulate you and all of Philadelphia Eagles Nation. And when I come to clean your bathrooms and wash your car, just send the golf cart out to the gate. Keep the Audi in the driveway, okay? Just send the golf cart out to the gate, and, and I'll come do your shit, okay? Make sure he vacuums that inside. Make sure it. he vacuums those little spots in the front of the car there, you know? Yeah, where we're going to get – yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll yeah. send you pictures of him in those booty shorts, guys. Right, good. Perfect. <laughs> You're the best, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. See you guys. So Stan sent an email to me and Ken Flo right after the podcast last week. Yes. And I just said, I just want to confirm we're doing one earring. You keep it in for 10 days. And Brian was like, it was my idea. It was a terrible idea. Uh, how about this other bet? And so reluctantly, we agreed. So I'll be flying to Atlanta to make good on that bet. As far as Anders Machida is concerned, Kenny, yeah. I just want your take real quick. And I know Brian is sort of coming down hard on all sides of this equation. There are a lot of different masters to serve here. Right. I mean, there's a, a, a huge roster and rankings that there's a lot of different layers to this pay-per-view FS1 shows, Fight Pass, Fox, everything else. But Eric Anders called for this fight. It was Lyoto Machida Kenny, who was coming off a knockout loss to Derek Brunson just a couple of months ago. Anders went in there as the three to one favorite. And had he won this decision against Lyoto Machida or found a way to capitalize early and finish Lyoto Machida, uh, then potentially a star is born. So while I right. certainly see the merits of Anders doing radio row at the Super Bowl, given his, his football background at Alabama, to me, I thought there was upside to this fight. And and, and credit Lyoto Machida for, for proving that there's still plenty of uh, fight left in that, though. No, absolutely. Uh, listen, I think that with Anders, he could have won that fight. First of all, we need to mention that. That was a fight that really could have gone either way. Uh, some people had uh, Anders winning that fight. Uh, I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. I, I think whoever won that fight, I thought... Um, Whatever. It was close enough. Right. Um, so, yeah, a Anders could have won that fight. We could have been talking about how Anders now is a potential star here. Um, it, he's going to learn a lot from this fight. He's going to learn a lot from this fight. I thought his approach was a little odd. He was very cautious. But more than anything else, you can't creep in against someone like Machida um, kind of leaning on your back foot just kind of creeping in, looking for that one big shot. Um, he almost pulled it off a couple times, um, right. but y you have to be better with your footwork. You have to feint your way in a lot more. Um, you have to try to cut angles. You can't just take a straight line against someone like Machida and try to get it done with one big shot. Uh, Machida was still savvy enough to get it done. With that said, has Machida changed since the Chris Weidman fight? Right. No. He's right. the same guy. And, and, and the thing is, you know, I say it all the time. If you are setting the exact same patterns for a large part of your career, people are going to figure out a way. No matter how good you are, no matter how, no matter how tricky you are, everything has a pattern. Even there's, there's patterns in chaos. And with Machida, he you know, came out here with a style that was very unique. Um, he showed a lot of patience. But now guys are figuring him out. Um, yeah. And he's doing the exact same thing over and over again. And um, – 
you know, is it too late for him to change his game at this point? Yeah. I mean, he probably has one or two more fights left, but he's one of those guys who hasn't really evolved uh, in the last few years. And because of that, you're seeing a lot of inconsistencies uh, with his results. He's still a phenomenal fighter, still will go down as a legend. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in this division and in this sport where it's changing so quickly, you just can't afford to do that uh, and expect consistent success. All right, back out to the guest line now, barely off the plane from Brazil. Today, though, I would imagine he does not have a care in the world because the Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Paul Felder, I know you did not play in the game last night, but we want to congratulate you. I know this has been something you have sort of dreamt about for a long time. And and today, man, you guys wake up as Super Bowl champions. Congratulations from a couple of Bostonians, kid. Oh, my God, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm <laughs> Barely awake right now, so I got my hat on. I had to take the hat off during the game yesterday because they they started playing poorly, and I, I started getting superstitious, so the hat went on after they won the Super Bowl. And it'll stay on all day. Well, I, I'm happy to see you today, man, and you know I'm happy for you and your brothers and your mom, and, and as much as maybe I don't want to see this video, I was able to obtain a live video of Paul Felder on the plane back from Brazil <laughs> watching the play-by-play as the score went final. So here is Paul Felder 30,000 feet up in the air as the score uh, of the Super Bowl went final. End of game. Oh! Eagles wanted if anybody does. I know everybody's trying to sleep. I'm sorry. That's for you, Dad. Oh, it's so That's good, phenomenal. man. I, I mean, legit gives me chills, right? And my team was on the other side of this, man. Pretty special uh, moment for you there, midair. Yeah, I, I, I thought a little more people on the plane would be a little excited. You know, I know maybe not, not Eagles fans or Patriots fans on the plane, but Jesus, it is the Super Bowl, right? I was like, I mean, we are flying during the Super Bowl. Nobody, nobody's interested. One guy yeah. at the very end came up to me when we were getting off nine hours later from then and was like, uh, who won? I'm like, you didn't hear me screaming the whole time. And, and we do want to thank our UFC producer, Mike Ricci for that film. So if I were you, I know you just got off the plane. But like I'd yeah. be I'd be drinking or smoking weed like, dude, <laughs> like, I mean, I know you I mean, training camp. Forget about Ally Aquinta for like 12 hours, man. How does a guy like you celebrate? I, w- I would imagine not like Brian Stan, you know, at the office at 855 a.m. No, well, he's he's a savage when it comes to being responsible and getting stuff done. I mean, <laughs> I was having fun last night on the plane. Um I'm going to train a little bit today, and I know the the parade, I think they're saying it's going to be Thursday now. So I got a few days to 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 try to get back into shape from this horrible, horrible flying journey to the oh. bottom of the world there to uh, <laughs> Brazil. But, yeah, I'm, and I'm probably going to link up with my brother uh, either tonight or tomorrow as well. And I'm going to try to bring my daughter to the parade as, and let her experience that. You know, she's – not even three years old, and she's got a Super Bowl. It took took me thirty, almost thirty-four years, but uh, I can't Amazing, believe it. Yeah, man. they they finally got one, man. 
uh, I'm so glad you're taking her to the parade because that really is important. I know we we talked about that before the Super Bowl, and you got to make sure that that you hit that parade. And it's interesting that it's Thursday. Boston always turns it around on Tuesday, gives you a few extra days. All right, I know Kenny wants to get with you on Machida Anders, but last thing just on the Eagles last night and Doug Peterson and Nick Foles and Nelson Aguilar and everybody making plays, I know you didn't see – it as it was going on live, but you know, it's got to be first nice half, to know. I you... saw, the, saw the first half in the, first, in the okay, lounge okay. in Sao Paulo. And then me and Richie were trying to hang on as long as we could. And we, we had to eventually board. And then we, that's when we got on uh, ESPN's website and I, I got the Wi-Fi hooked up and we saw, you know, the little teeny little fields and they showed where the ball was. And we, we, we yeah. followed it pretty, pretty much play by play, but Definitely didn't get to see some of the, the craziness and the fumble and, and all that at the end of the game. So, See, he can't even stop smiling. I just wanted to, to say on Doug Peterson, kind of nice when you go up against this Patriots juggernaut, I would think, and this was a big source of your confidence to know that you have a head coach that is going to go for it and understands what he needs to do to, to put 35 or 40 on the board. Yeah, I mean – Got to play aggressive, man, and, and play through the whole game, too. You know, you cannot give Brady and those guys a chance. That's all we were talking about on the plane when it was a close game going in the second half. We're like, oh, my God, don't, you, you just can't let them get the ball back with any time. Any time you, you let him have the ball and, and, you know, there's any time on that clock, they can make plays and come back and, and shove it down your throat. So I was I was pretty nervous on the flight just knowing that it just takes one beautiful pass from that man and – and uh, all our dreams come crashing down. Unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sure you were nervous in that fourth quarter, man, but oh. you guys pulled it off, dude. That was amazing. Listen, man, I, I, you, your nickname is the Irish Dragon. Was that an ode to Machida, first of all? I, I wanted to find that out. Yeah, well, the the guy that gave me the nickname, which mm -hmm. I didn't even want in the beginning, well, it kind of was because of uh, Machida, yeah. So that was kind nice. of his spin on giving me the Dragon nickname. Uh, I was a huge Machida fan mm. uh, my, my whole career, and he's one of the reasons I started doing MMAs because I came from a karate background and a taekwondo background. So when he won the belt and beat Rashad, it was kind of like, holy crap, this guy's showing that us traditional martial arts guys can transition as long as you train wrestling, jujitsu, take that style. And, you know, my style started to become more Muay Thai as I got older anyway, but it, it definitely originated in, in karate is, is how I got started. So, yeah, to be able to call Machida's fight uh, the other night and, and see him live and interview him, I, I don't, if, you, if you look close, I've got like a, a shit-eating grin on my face the whole time I'm interviewing him. <laughs> yeah, well, when you did this, I thought that was a little odd, yeah, when you were kind of staring into his yeah. eyes a little bit. But uh, listen, man, what do you think of his performance? Uh, I, you know, I thought it was really close, and I know that um, – you know, Anders, uh, I was talking to the, their coaches, and they really thought they did enough to get it done. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't know. I, I know that we had the stats um, when the fight was wrapped that Machida did outland him. It mm -hmm. might have not looked it, but he was backing up the whole time. But he was actually landing more more significant strikes the whole fight, landed a lot mm -hmm. of kicks. But every now and then he would get clipped. So it looked like the momentum was going to change, but Anders never really – got his foot on the gas and that's something he'll learn. You know, when you fight a guy like uh, Machida, you, you gotta, you gotta get him and get on top of him and, and stop his movement. And, um, you know, when, when you're fighting in Belang and that's his hometown, you, you can't let that go to a five round decision. Yeah. Did you, did you think that was a fight that could have gone either way? Do you think Anders, uh, would you have, a, would you have had a problem if Anders won that fight? 
No, no, I, I, I wouldn't just because of the pressure. Uh, you know, you don't know what the, the judges are looking at. I mean, but I, again, I saw the strikes that were landing uh, were, were definitely pretty heavily in favor of, of Machida. Um, but cage control, I guess, you know, Anders was definitely moving forward the whole fight. He just all he really needed to do was just throw a little more, even if they were just jabs or inside leg kicks or something. And I think he could have got that decision. All right, last thing. Are you the biggest Philadelphia Eagles fan on the UFC roster of five, 600 fighters? Man, yeah. I mean, who else? Who else? Is I don't know. I mean, Eddie Alvarez, I know, was tweeting about oh, it, but man, he, he yeah, doesn't I mean, strike Eddie, me as the Eddie, watching 17-week type. Eddie's diehard. He's he's a, a true Philly guy, too. So, I mean, he actual ins and out of the games, but I just you, – you hang out with my brother for five minutes and you become – the biggest Eagles fan that there could possibly yeah. be because it's, it's stressful to you. I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't have to experience that with my brother, Tommy, because he was probably so nervous, so upset whenever they would, you know, give up a point that it, it would have been hard to watch, but I did actually end up calling him while I was on the flight and got a lot of trouble too, because I, I forgot to put my phone on airplane mode the whole time. So I ended up, uh, messing him and then calling him on my, uh, my uh, Facebook messenger and the, the the lady came by. She's like, what are you doing? You can't be on your phone right now. I was like, the Eagles won. Like, I have to be on my phone. All right. Well, we've taken up uh, enough of your time, kid. Have a great day. We're happy for you, man. Congratulations to the birds. Enjoy the parade with your daughter. And we'll talk to you, I would imagine, before the Iaquinta fight here in a couple months, man. Thank you for hopping on. Get yeah, some rest. Before I go, I want everybody to know that I was over there and I've still been training. And people are like, you need to be focused on Brooklyn. Listen, l don't anybody get it twisted that I've been busting my ass and I'll be busting my ass for the next eight weeks. And Philly's going to be showing up in Brooklyn and I'm going to take Iaquinta's face off when I see him. <laughs> That He's boy. fired up. I love it. All right, man, go oh, enjoy that Super Bowl championship. <laughs> I'd imagine that'll be a hell of a training session today. I mean, I hate to be on the wrong end of the pads today when Felder starts kicking shit. Have and a good I'm day, man. Thank you. Today. I'm actually hitting pads today, so you're right. It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. I'd Congrats, hate to be those dude. pads. Have a good day, bud. Thank you, guys. I do believe he's the biggest power threat, at least with every limb at 155 pounds that there is right now in the UFC. All right, give me a minute to tell you about Mattress Firm, if you would. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. Well, so does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. It's a true home run, and you will have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they're more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast, mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They also offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection, also a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play -play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. All right, now with us, Ken Flo, as the pain just continues. Our next guest, a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan dating to August 2nd of 1969. That's the day he was born. This man was actually in the building, though, in Minneapolis last night with his son, 
to watch his Eagles win the Super Bowl. He is Fox's vice president of production for the UFC. Our good friend Steve Becker is now live on the Anakin Florian podcast. (laughs) How good is this Monday in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia for you? I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, John. Uh, other than getting married and having uh, my two kids, this is uh, one of, if not the greatest day of my life. That's Yesterday awesome. was uh, was something I will never, never, ever forget. I've been waiting uh, 48 years, six months, and three days for that to happen. So I'd imagine you were brought to tears. I'm a pretty emotional guy, more so since having children. So if I could get sentimental for a second, you're in the building with your son that type of game, the ebb and flow, I mean, I mean, waterworks, I would think for you at the end of that game, no? There was waterworks. Uh, I got emotional when they came out of the tunnel. And when that, uh, we were at the 10 yard line in that end zone where that uh, Hail Mary was happening. And when we saw it hit the ground and we looked, we both looked oh. up at the clock and it had, <laughs> wow. it had triple zeros on it. It was, it was euphoria, hugging, crying, and then I think the part that was the most emotional was uh, after a little bit of the celebration happened, I called my uh, my father. He's 82 years old. He was at the 1960 championship game, the last uh, championship the Eagles had oh, won. Wow. And that, it actually was more emotional talking to, to my father and him knowing oh. that I was there and experiencing it with my son. Um, it was, it's something I'll never forget. It's unbelievable, man. This is what it's all about. And I hope that when we've congratulated Philadelphia and the Eagles fans today, it, it sounds genuine because, again, you're giving me chills when you tell these stories. This is this is what it's all about. All of that said, Steve, last night did nothing for my long-term health in the positive, right? Like, this is pure hell, man. Like, it's nice having your team in it, obviously, and we've been spoiled in New England, but I can't say that I enjoyed what was a great Super Bowl because, you know, you're you're living and dying with every down. It was, and, and to be there, I'll get, give you a sense. It was probably about 65% uh, to 35% Eagles fans there. Um, and you're right, the ebb and flow. And when when the Patriots take the lead in the fourth quarter, every Eagles fan is get, gets that feeling. It, it's happening again. We're not going to win. We're going to, be, we're, we're going to finish in second again. Uh, and it, for them to come back and do what they did, there's, you know, you're right. In the sports world, this is this is what it's all about: is the the emotions and the things that we feel and the experiences we get to uh, we get to have, and you just never know. That's what makes sports so great. There's no finality to it until there's zeros on the clock, and you just, you know, the it's it was heart wrenching. I mean, I really there were moments there that I felt like I needed a brown paper bag. <laughs> Well, Steve, I, I've been in, I've been in the avocado room with you many, many times, uh, and you're like one of the biggest, maybe the biggest sports fan I know. So that must have been an unbelievable feeling seeing you guys beat uh, the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl championship. Congrats, man! Um, what do you think about the future of this team? You know, this coach Peterson uh, seems like he's something else, man. It, it, fans are are I think we're going to start. We we believe that we have a future that. It, it may not equal what the Patriots have done in the dynasty they created because it's just impossible to do that in sports. But we believe with Carson Wentz coming back that there's potential for us to get back to a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. that we could be in the Super Bowl next year. But reality is it's really hard to get just to get to the Super Bowl, let alone win it. But right. we believe, I mean, a lot of people outside of Philadelphia, Kenny, don't realize what the Eagles actually went through 
to actually get here. They lost what was an, their MVP candidate quarterback. Mm-hmm. We lost an all-pro left tackle. We lost our starting middle linebacker. We, we lost our best special teams player. We lost Darren Sproles. We lost our kicker before the season even started. And all of that, and they still go on to win the Super Bowl, is remarkable. So when you think that we're going to get some of these pieces back, to answer your question, yeah. the, the future is really bright for Eagles football. Yeah. So your son, Luke, trains jujitsu, right? So the least you can do, right? You're making him do jujitsu like seven days a week. The least you can do is take him to the goddamn parade. It's Thursday in Philadelphia. I know you have to be in Los Angeles for the UFC 221 shows this weekend at Fox, but I don't know, man. My best experience as a sports fan was not at a game. It was at that first Patriots Super Bowl parade. I mean, does Luke get to go? What are we doing? If he's going to the parade, you better know jujitsu as well, Steve. (laughs) Yeah. That's you're seeing, and you're absolutely right. After what I saw last night from the from the Philadelphia fans, I just don't get it. I don't understand the mentality of if you win a championship, let's burn things and turn cars over and loot and do everything. I don't understand that mentality, but that's unfortunately Philadelphia to a T. So, answering your question, I'm staying as far away from Philadelphia on Thursday as I possibly can. Oh man! All right. Well, if I wasn't going to Perth, maybe I would take Luke. No, of course, I don't want to be anywhere near Broad Street on Thursday. Hey, man, sincerely, though, congratulations, and thank you for everything you do for the UFC and for Fox and obviously for this podcast, man. We appreciate you. Um, Mostly, largely today, we are happy for you, and we just wanted five minutes of your time, so thank you. I, I appreciate you guys having me. It's an honor. I am so happy for you guys and uh, being able to get this on uh, Fox Sports now, and you know I'm fans of both of yours. You know, uh, you know but so – uh, I understand that the interview is wrapping up, but we're not, we're not going to talk UFC at all. So it's over. <laughs> we're done. Well, I mean, I, I mean, we we take your thoughts on Machida Anders. If you, I mean, you want to give us a pick on Romero Rockhold? I mean, Luke's the favorite right now, minus one forty. We'll take as much of your time as you got. I will. Uh, I will leave you with this. I uh, I believe the best thing that happened to Luke Rockhold was uh, was Robert Whitaker pulling out of the fight, uh, getting this matchup with uh, with Yoel Romero. Uh, Luke's going to, uh, he will win the interim title back. I think he will beat Romero. Uh, and then, uh, we will get to see what he can do against Robert Whitaker. Um, but I'd like to just see both guys at some point in the octagon call out Michael Bisping. I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, there's nothing better yeah. to me than hearing Yoel <laughs> Romero say, Michael Bisping! I'm telling you. I love you, Mike! I love you, Mike! <laughs> oh, Bisping's going to be three years retired, sitting on a TV set with a fucking eye patch, and people be calling him out, you know? Hey, Steve, I love you. Thank you for the time. Uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks, guys. Uh, enjoy the fights this weekend, and I know I will uh, talk and see both of you soon. That's right. Congrats, there he Steve. Is, the man, Steve Becker, Fox Five Vice President Five. of Production for the UFC. And, uh, just amazing for some of these people, right? You just, and you get to the Super Bowl, and it's just, there's no guarantee. And this has been a little bit therapeutic for me today, I think, to hear some of these stories from these Eagles fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because on the other side of this, right, Kenny, we've been on the other side of this waking up three Monday mornings, Patriots losing Super Bowls. And it's not like, oh, I wish they had lost to Jacksonville, but uh, just nothing fun about it, man. Talking to my 66 year old mother this morning, you know, that ain't yeah. fun. Um, yeah. But good stuff there from Steve Becker. All right, a few other things on. <laughs> Machida and Anders. Valentina Shevchenko in the co-main event, a winner by rear naked choke against Priscilla Cachoeira. 
Uh, mismatch doesn't really even begin to describe it, Kenny. I know we referenced it earlier on tonight. I think big picture, this is less about what happened Saturday night and more about the fact that Shevchenko is probably going to be a similarly priced favorite, minus 900, minus 1,000, if her next fight is for the UFC flyweight title. Well, yeah, absolutely. She just has way too much experience. Uh, she has a skill set that is very dangerous. At 125 pounds, I don't know if anyone's going to beat her, to be honest. Uh, who's who's going to beat her? Uh, she looked phenomenal. Um, she was in a, a completely different class uh, than Priscilla Cachoeira. And, um, you know, man, it, it was a beatdown, plain and simple. And listen, you know, for, for the matchmakers in the UFC, it is not the easiest of jobs. And when you talk about the women's divisions, there's just not a whole lot of great matchups, uh, to be candid. Um, so yeah. you're going to get one, you know, some of these wrong every once in a while. But, you know, as far as, you know, the, the fault and everything, what happened out there, you know, um, Mari Yamasaki just consistently – uh, is just not a good referee. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what has happened. I don't know if, um, you know, maybe he was trying to support the the Brazilian fans, the Brazilian fighters, and kind of seeing if there's going to be a comeback here. But you, you can't do that. You, you can't have your fighter or, or a fighter in the UFC go out there and take a beating like that. You, you have to stop the fight a lot earlier. Um, and the same kind of blame and fault goes to the corner of Priscilla Cachoeira. Um, yeah. She wasn't going to win that fight. If you know the fight game, you see the way it was materializing, how Valentina was basically having her way with Priscilla, you, you got to protect your fighter. Um, right. Protect her, let her fight another day. She was being outmatched. Um, and a lot of time our pride as corner uh, men uh, get involved and prevent that uh, towel from getting thrown into the octagon. But uh, teams just have to do a better job uh, about really protecting their fighter. Um, and uh, it was unfortunate to see. Uh, but thankfully, Priscilla is fine. Um, and, um, you know, I think for Valentina, that's the future champ right there. No doubt about it. No, you hit on a lot of good stuff there. And and Yamasaki, you know, good guy, right? I mean, we, we both know he him is. well. He's good a, guy, he's a great he's, guy, yeah. But he's he just seems to be a little bit in his own head, right? In these mm -hmm. situations where 99 out of 100 people are looking at an action and thinking, okay, the outcome here is an eventuality. Just stop the fight. Right. And whether it's because she was Brazilian or he wanted to give her every benefit of every doubt, I mean, yeah. you know, she's getting beaten down by a minus 1200 favorite, you know, only once in calling however many UFC shows I've done over 120 at this point, only once have I stood up and said, like, stop the fight as I was calling right. something. I think it was Australia. I think the referee in question might have been John Sharp. Maybe Stipe, Miocic, and yes. Mark Hunt. I don't, yeah, we you know. called that. Yeah, I remember right. talking about that. Yeah, it, that was not a good one either. But, you know, listen, referees are going to make mistakes. But when you see a referee that's doing consistently, and again, as you mentioned, Mario Yamasaki, a guy who we both know very well. He is a guy who gave a black belt to my cousin. So I, I have known Mario and Fernando for a long time. But... Um, you know, when you're talking about someone's life uh, in the octagon, um, it needs to be taken very seriously. And this is not a shot at Mario. He just needs to know that he's got to protect these fighters way better. You know, um, every shot that they take um, is a threat. Um, so it was unfortunate to see. Did you see Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith, by the way? I missed that one. So it was the fight yeah, of the night. Right, it yeah. was the first fight, I believe, on the main card. Yep. And all I want to say about that is that, I mean, Lionheart, Anthony Smith, toughness off the charts. So no much doubt. respect for him as a fighter and as a guy. 
But dude, if I'm, a, if I'm at 185 pounds and I'm a contender, like Tiago Mejeta Santos is the last guy I want to see. You're going to really like this knockout too. I mean, he he curved his toes like right I into saw the knock- liver. I, I mean, saw the knockout, man. I didn't see the oh. fight, but um, it was a brutal one, man. Digging those toes into the side of the liver, uh, never a good feeling. Um, and, and Anthony Smith, one of the toughest men. You've seen him uh, in comeback after comeback in his UFC career. This is a guy who is as tough as nails, but when you hit the body just right, it doesn't matter how tough you are. You can't yeah. breathe. Um, you're, you're curling into a ball, and, and that's it. It was over. And he kept trying to fight through it, uh, but yeah. just wasn't enough. He was taking shots, and uh, they did the right thing, stopping the fight. Tiago Mejeta Santos' fourth consecutive win. He, like, scraped his toes across the organ. I mean, you could just Oof. tell that even someone as tough as Anthony Smith is just not coming back from that. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I think the Spicely fight was a learning experience for Santos, certainly the Musasi fight as well. And, yes. again, I do think his better days at 185 pounds are ahead of him physically. He continues to get stronger. So, uh, yep. plant my flag on Tiago Mejeta Santos. So the weight cutting issues reared their ugly head uh, once again here in Belang, Brazil, Kenny. So Michel Prezadish, we talked last week about this guy being 23 and two and having won five in a row. We didn't mention his is- his issues cutting weight. So he beats Desmond Green here, unanimous decision, 30, 27 times two and a 29, 28. But he missed weight for the third time in the last four fights at 155 pounds. All of them wins. He's won six in a row, as I mentioned. 24 and two. Now, Kenny, we called his UFC debut. It was 2013 against Paulo Tiago at welterweight. Yep. Since all nine of Prezadish's fights have been at 155 pounds, maybe one of them was a catch weight in there, if my memory serves, because he didn't make weight. But, I mean, come on, man. Like, we have talked about this fighter being underappreciated, and, and he can't make the weight. I mean, so... For my money, next fight has got to be at welterweight, and and this was a stain on an otherwise pretty good week for the UFC. No, I agree. And listen, uh, you're not going to hear, um, you know, uh, any excuses from me when when a fighter doesn't make weight. You know, things do happen, but when you need a guy who's consistently not making weight here, uh, I mean, what what the hell's going on? Either you're a professional or you're not. Um, uh, you know, if there's any good news, is that 40% of his purse did go to Desmond Green. Um, I thought Desmond Green, as far as the fight went, uh, showed a lot of heart, showed some good scrambling ability, uh, and Prezeris, uh, you know, put him in some really bad spots. I thought Prezeris should have got, um, you know, a, a finish uh, at least one out of the three times that it looked like he was going to get a submission uh, on Desmond Green. Um, was not as technical with his finishing ability. Um, but, you know, th- think about the, the disadvantage when you're going against a guy who didn't make the actual weight. And he was going in there um, with, you know, he's already going in there with a huge weight advantage on fight night. Right. And then to give him the advantage on the scale as well, um, it's bullshit, to, to, to be honest. Uh, yeah. And for Prezeris, he's got to get his act together, man. That, that is not um, how a professional fighter behaves. And I guess there might have been some verbal agreement in place whereby Prezeris couldn't have entered the octagon at anything north of 173 pounds. I don't have to tell you that that was unrealistic. And yeah. I think Green pushed out that he was north of 180. So we'll see how they proceed with Michel Prezedish. Obviously, he's had a lot of success at 55, but a lot a lot of big boys up there at 170 pounds where I think he has to go from here. Mm-hmm. Now, Pedro Munoz missed weight as well. I think he blamed the hot water situation in Belang. And I understand, Kenny, a lot of fighters need hot water, especially down the stretch. Guys who are calculated and manage their weight the right way. But I just 
I still think there's criticism to be levied at fighter and camp. You know, we remember a situation with Hani Marks, I believe it was, who was going to a sauna at a different hotel because our hotel in Brazil several years ago didn't have a sauna. I guess they got in a car accident. He hit his head on the windshield and couldn't fight. There have been issues in Brazil. I've been there 25 times. Those are well documented, I think, at this point in time. But Kenny, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If you're a fighter who is American-based, as Pedro Munoz is, and you're fighting internationally, you got to get ahead of it. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you, you, you're in a co-main event in a big spot. You can't blame the walk. No doubt. You, you have to plan for these things. This isn't Pedro Munoz's first UFC fight. And I know Pedro. He's a great kid. He trains real hard. He's a guy who who's an honest and, and, and true professional. But this is one of those things where Pedro and his team are at fault here. You know, uh, Dan Gable, the, the legendary freestyle wrestler, used to have a policy when he was coaching over at Iowa that if you were, if you were 15 minutes early, you were on time. Anything past yeah. that, you were late. And what it did is it, it teaches you about discipline. It teaches you about being a professional. You have to anticipate these kind of things. You can't go in there, yeah. you know, uh, last minute and go, oh, there's no hot water in the hotel. Guess what? There's saunas. Why don't you have a plan for a sauna? That's how I used to cut weight. That's right. how a lot of other right. people cut weight. So, yeah, maybe th there wasn't hot water in the tub where you can cut weight maybe a little easier or whatever, but get your ass to a sauna. Prepare for that. Well, right, right. So no, it, I'm just – it's just a thing, you know, as a coach, as a fighter, you you got to be a professional on the way you handle things. And if you're lackadaisical about one thing, you're going to be lackadaisical about a lot of other things. How you do one thing, you do everything. And that's what a professional fighter or any professional athlete needs to remind themselves. Yep. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. And I'm just I'm running out of sympathy. Right. And I always tell people, I'm like, dude. Kenny Florian made 145 pounds, like twice. I don't want to hear it, you know, and that's really my yeah. thesis statement on the whole thing. And because when you talk to the majority of this roster, they feel like what happened this weekend is inexcusable, even though there were some variables in Brazil. So, right. again, we love all these guys. Pedro Munoz, outstanding human being, outstanding fighter. Um, but I don't blame John Dodson, you know, for wa not wanting to take what would have amounted to a, to a featherweight fight for him. All right, support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button and in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik, rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, UFC 221 this weekend, Perth and Western Australia. Let's make some picks. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The Main Event Challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, so Team Anik led Team Florian 8-3 going into the Machida versus Anders show. So you went head-to-head -head with amateur mixed martial arts fighter and Anik and Florian Podcast listener Will Coggin. You and I also gave our Super Bowl picks, if you recall. So you did yeah. beat Will head-to-head 3-2. -head Super Bowl, though. 
I had the Eagles underdogs. You had the Patriots. Uh, I shouldn't take the two points, but I'm going to take them. Uh, good enough to take the week four three. So the standings read Team Anik 12, Team Florian 6. Dope. Heading into UFC 221, and you know we bring in the big guns for all pay-per-views to that end. Handicapper to the stars. Sharp MMA mind, a guy I know who puts in the time on Twitter. He is at Gamblu, G-A-M-B-L-O-U, Gamblu.com. My man, Lou, how are you this morning, sir? Doing great, John. Happy to share a little time with you and Kenny. And I thank you for it. I apologize for keeping you on hold for a couple minutes. So your last name on paper just kills me, right? Like I pride myself on my pronunciations and I see your last name on paper and, and it gives me anxiety. So, I mean, are you one of those handicappers that doesn't even like the surname out there? Or can you tell me once again, how we're pronouncing this thing? Thank you so much. Uh, Actually, I would spell it phonetically for you because that's how most people end up pronouncing it. And it's, F-I-N-O, Finno, C-A-R-O, Caro. So, Lou Finnecaro. Oh, easy enough. All right. Well, you, Lou, you know I respect your opinion, and that's why I have you on for a big show like this. So, today, three main card predictions. We also have two quick picks on the way out. Let's start with this main card bout here, fellas, at Welterweight. So, back in late November, you may recall the UFC in Shanghai for the first time. And the show's biggest Chinese star, really, by a mile, Stole the show. It was Lee Jingliang knocked out Zach Otto in the co-main event. Good enough for his fourth straight win. Three of those by knockout. And now the Leech returns here relatively quickly. He's the minus 210 favorite on the road against the plus 180 underdog Jake Matthews. Matthews coming off a November split decision win over Bojan Velichkovic to end a two-fight skid. So, Lou, good fight here at 170 pounds. You going with the favorite Lee Jingliang or the dog Jake Matthews? going to start right out with the hometown kid as an underdog. I think uh, his last fight against Velocevic was positive, and Jing Liang, the style of fight he brings, you can only bring it so long, even though he's you know, just uh, 28 years old. I think there's wear on those tires, and this is a good spot for Jake Matthews. Yeah, no doubt there is wear on those tires, and aesthetically, it's a great style to watch. Lee Jing Leung, Jake Matthews' kid. Who do you like, Ken? Well, for Jing Leung, I I think on the feet, he's got the advantage. This is a guy who really can crack. Um, But I think for Matthews, I think he's going to play it smart. I think he will be buoyed by his home crowd, um, or home country, I should say. And and I think Matthews is going to have a huge advantage. If this fight hits the ground, I I think he should be able to uh, get the submission, no problem. Uh, I'll go with Matthews here as well physical kid and I know he's had he's been up and down a little bit and 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 down at times in Australia Jake Matthews figures to be pretty motivated and hungry going in there uh, against the leech who obviously has a lot of momentum all right co-main event here Lou at heavyweight so Curtis Blades at least the number I checked this morning minus 160 here against Mark Hunt who is in the plus 140 range at least at the beginning of fight week so Hunto or Blades for you Lou pretty close fight here on paper Yes, we track age difference in the UFC with uh, age difference of greater than five years. 62% of the younger fighters win in the UFC tracking to its history. And if you separate it to over 170 pounds, then it's 65%. Hunt's 42 years old, Blades 27. And I think Blades cut his teeth with Naganu. And uh, I, I really think that Blades is in a really good spot, and this is a bad spot for a proud warrior, Mark Hunt. 
All right, so Curtis Blades, and I love the numbers, too. I don't know if Mark Hunt Kenny is the oldest fighter on the roster. I'm being told he was born in 1974, March, so coming up on birthday number 44. Still, obviously, a lot of game, a lot of experience, and this will not be a five-rounder for Mark Hunt. You go in Curtis Blades or the underdog, Mark Hunt? This is a tough one, man. This really is. I, I think Curtis Blades... Um, I think he has a lot of potential. Uh, I still think he has a lot to learn, however, uh, especially when it comes to the striking game. And, and you know, getting a, a clean takedown on someone like Mark Hunt is not an easy thing to do. This guy is built like a, a backyard shed. I, I mean, how do you double leg a backyard <laughs> shed? He's wide. He's low to the ground. He knows how to move. Yes, still, uh, and at 42 years old, he can still move. I think he definitely has the uh, the, the power advantage. It's tough, you know. Even you know, I talked to one of his coaches on the bus one time, and he said, "You know what? We never know what Mark Hunt we're going to see. He could have the best camp, and then maybe not have the best performance on fight night. He could have a terrible camp, and then go out there and have the the best performance of his career. You just never know." I am going to go with Mark Hunt here. I think he finds a way to get the knockout. And again, in our scoring system, you could do worse than that. Plus one forty there with Mark Hunt Blades. If you're curious, unbeaten by the way. Dating to that UFC debut against Francis Ngannou and, and a big TKO for him against Alexi Olenek last November at UFC 217. All right, main event for the UFC's interim middleweight championship. So Yoel Romero gets the red corner here, but he will be the slight underdog, at least right now, plus 110. Luke Rockhold, minus 140. Last fight for Yoel all the way back on July 8th. Unanimous decision lost to Robert Whitaker. That, of course, is who he replaces here against Rockhold. Last appearance for him, September, a win over David Branch. So, Lou, this is the main event, championship stakes. We will also need the round and the method of victory. Lou, the floor is yours, my friend. Thank you very much. I, uh, again, Rockhold, 32, Romero, 41 this April. So there's the five-year difference as well. Uh, fighters with a greater than two-inch reach advantage and seemingly stand-up affairs win 61% of the time. So I anticipate a stand-up war. Romero has been hesitant to use his wrestling in past fights. I like Rockhold's length, his youth. They're both lefties. And I, I look for Rockhold to press this fight and take Yoel Romero deep where those big, huge 41-year-old muscles are going to eventually ache and need oxygen. He's going to swell up, get slowed down. And so I'll say Rockhold, TKO, round five. Rockhold, TKO, round five. Ken Flo can speak to some of those 41-year-old muscles. <laughs> yeah. Although I got to say, man, you've been hitting that Rocky BJJ hard. You look like you're getting in really good shape. <laughs> I don't know about that. Rounds of shape. Uh, so, yeah, if you're talking about that, maybe. Um, listen, man, I, uh, I I don't know about this fight. This is a tough one for me. Um, Romero definitely has knockout power. When you got a guy like Luke Rockhold who gets lazy with that lead uh, hand of his, um, it, it's a problem, but it's particularly a problem against a right-handed fighter. Romero, um, as Lou said, uh, is a southpaw. Um, I, I think also Rockhold does very well against guys who try to take him down. He knows how to defend takedowns extremely well. Uh, of course, training at AKA for all those years against guys like Cain Velasquez and Daniel Cormier and all the great wrestlers that have uh, been over there, um, he, he knows what to do up against the cage. He knows how to stop takedowns. He has an excellent ground game as well. Um, 
I don't know. I think early on, Romero is going to be extremely dangerous. This is a guy who absolutely can knock out anyone in that division, um, not only with his overhand left, but with uh, that flying knee. He also kicks extremely well, and his rhythm changes can really throw you off as a fighter. Um, however, I, I think Rockhold's experience, his ability to go five hard rounds will be the difference. I'm going to go with the TKO for Rockhold, but round four. Round four, TKO for Luke Rockhold. And I didn't mean to stonewall you on that round is a shape. I just it took me a minute to get that. That was that was round is a shape. I just yeah. was thinking like boxing rounds, MMA rounds. So yeah, that's funny. I didn't mean to just leave you hanging there. Yeah, all, good. all right. So good stuff there. Now a couple quick picks on the way out. Feature about here at heavyweight tie to Ivasa and Cyril Asker. Minus three thirty for two Ivasa Asker at plus two seventy. Lou, who will it be for the record? Yeah, two Ivasa. All right, Tui Vasa for Lou. Kenny, you going with the favorite shock, Tui Vasa, or do you like Asker in the upset? I'm going with Tui Vasa as well. All right, and then finally, guys, light heavyweight. Uh, this will kick off the main card. Tyson Pedro, minus 260. The comeback on Saperbeg, Safarov, plus 220. Lou, who will it be, my friend? Yeah, we just saw setup fights in Brazil. I think this, these are setup fights designed to make the local good. I'll take Pedro. Yeah. Don't disagree with you there. All right, Ken Flo, what do you think? Pedro here or uh, Saperbeg Safarov? Yeah, I think Pedro as well. This guy can crack. I think he probably gets a knockout here. Already the fourth UFC fight in 16 months on the roster for Tyson Pedro and Safarov. Stopped by John Vellante in his only UFC appearance. That was back in December of 2016. All right, that is it for the UFC 221 picks. On Twitter, you can find him at Gamblue, gamblue.com. Lou Finnecaro, buddy, thank you for the time and the insight. We will talk to you soon. Enjoy the pay-per-view. Thank you so much. Always appreciate it, gentlemen. Thanks, Lou. Interesting numbers when it comes Thanks, to the age there. It's something that I don't mm -hmm. often look at, right? And yep. and maybe it's something that uh, that we should pay more attention to. So good stuff there. At Gamblue to follow his predictions on Twitter. There are a lot of these guys, MMA cappers out there, um, few as sharp as Gamblue. So good stuff from him today. Um, all right, so Kenny, just final thoughts on uh, UFC 221 this weekend. We're going to bring on Longo here in a couple minutes. It's interesting here because Rockhold is minus 140 and Yoel Romero is at plus 110. Now, Lou really liked Rockhold at plus 160 or so in that Whitaker matchup here. But I wow. think most people believe that this is a more favorable matchup for Luke Rockhold than that Whitaker fight would have been, at least for right now. Uh, without a doubt. Um, you know, and if we can kind of isolate it to two singular weapons, um, you know, th that Whitaker left hook, th that's one of the best uh, uh, weapons in the middleweight division. And of course, with Rockhold, you know, who holds that right hand really low, too low for, for my liking, um, you know, that that's a dangerous thing to do against someone like Whitaker. So I didn't love that matchup for Luke Rockhold. Um, and I also think he was at a speed disadvantage uh, in that fight. Um, so, yeah, it would have been tough. Would have been a tough fight for him. I do like this fight a little bit better for him here against Romero. I think Romero is still going to be very strong. I still think um, he'll be able to hit some takedowns. I don't know if he wants to do too much on the ground with someone like Rockhold. Rockhold does have a decent guard, um, but certainly doesn't want to be on his back against someone like Luke Rockhold. So he wants to avoid any type of the reversals or sweeps uh, from Rockhold or any of those transitional uh, submission attempts that he likes to hit, whether you're talking about the guillotine, 
right. uh, or, or a triangles, or whatever. He's got those long legs. So for Romero, um, I, I think he does have to be careful on the ground. Um, maybe hitting takedowns late in the round uh, would serve him well. He does have to pace himself. We saw him gas against Whitaker. Um, you know, decided to kind of play off of his back uh, against Whitaker, which wasn't a, a good idea. Just you could see he just let that fight slip away from him. Now, um, did he learn from that fight? Uh, perhaps. Um, but I, I still think going five hard rounds is going to be tough. We've seen Rockhold go uh, five rounds um, a, a few times in his career um, over in the over in strike force and some tough fights against Jacare and Tim Kennedy. Um, so I, I think he's got to use his length here. He's got to keep Romero on the outside. Uh, I would imagine that he will attack that body a lot with that front kick going right down the middle, then switch things up uh, with a high kick upstairs uh, against Romero. Um, and he should use that lead kick. You know, because both of these guys are southpaws, I think Rockhold needs to use that lead right leg a lot more. Basically go left hand, uh, lead right kick upstairs to try to catch Romero uh, slipping. Um, and, of course, he's got to stop those takedowns. This is great. I've been taking notes the whole time, and now I don't have to watch any film, so I appreciate that. Hope the listeners found it as useful as I did. Also, I think interesting, Kenny, a lot of the American fighters and the fighters not based in Australia have gotten there early, right? I mean, I'm taping a pre-fight hit at 6.15 a.m., you know what I mean? So it's a different animal. Some of these fighters, I think first fight might be 7.30 in the morning, so hopefully fighters have made that adjustment and tried to get uh, ahead of it. All right, one final order of business. Uh, Let's get to Ray Longo. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So as most of you were watching the Super Bowl last night, Ray Longo spent two hours in a private room saluting the flag of the United States of America. <laughs> exactly. You must have heard me. You're stealing my material. I was listening. Exactly. I had to go Let back to episode something. 141 to say, is that what he said? That he's going to be? So <laughs> so you tell me you didn't watch a snap last night, Ray? Not a snap? No, nah, I didn't watch a snap. I actually was working out at the gym with a couple of people, and uh, they were people were updating me on what was going on. But I, I didn't watch anything, unfortunately. But <laughs> I got a hold to my guns. I got a hold to the guns. Well, did you happen to see this Lyoto Machida Eric Anders main event on Saturday night? Because, you know, Brian Stam was on earlier and he was pretty critical of of Anders's team for taking the fight and the UFC for putting it together. I, you know, I said Anders went in about a three to one favorite. Machida was the guy who got knocked out a couple months ago. I thought there was upside to the fight with Anders. And, and I thought, you know, it was a pretty close fight over 25 minutes. Uh, yeah, it was definitely I mean, I definitely had. Machida winning, but it was a close yep. fight. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I didn't feel uh, they should be criticized for making the fight. I mean, Machida's having a rough go. And, you know, like, again, I think uh, they were talking about, you think he can make a title run. And I would, I'm saying definitely not. I really like Machida. He's a good guy. I think he's one of the good guys in the sport. But um, I think his days are, are really, really limited. Kind of was like a perfect fight for him, you know, against a, you know, a guy with not much experience. So I thought I thought it was I thought it was fair all the way around. Yeah. Ray, Ray good uh, main event here in, in Perth, Australia. Uh, two guys that you and Weidman know very well, Romero and Rockhold. Who wins this fight? Uh, you know, I got to go with uh, Rockhold on this. I think he will use his, his uh, length. I think he knows how to uh, 
you know, control that distance. The only thing I'm going to say, if, if Romero wins, I would suspect it would be in the first round. He catches him with something and he'll, you know, he's pretty explosive. But I think if it goes past round one and uh, Rocco gets to settle in, I think he probably can keep him at bay with the kicks. And uh, I think I was listening to you right before this. Yeah, his, his I think his ground game is superb, man. I mean, you know, yeah. Chris is no slouch on the floor. David Branch is no slouch on the floor. And uh, he was really successful, more than I thought he would be. So he's uh, he's very dangerous on the floor. So I don't know. Uh, like, again, I, I uh, Romero always has that chance of exploding with something and catching him. But outside of that, I, I don't think he could outpoint him. I think Rocco will be busier. I think he's going to uh, probably control the center of the octagon. And uh, he gets the he gets the win. See, if I'm an MMA better and I hear Kenny pick Rockhold and I hear Longo, who has trained Chris Weidman one and a half times to fight Rockhold and, of course, the training camp for Yoel Romero, you know, I'm probably pausing the podcast and placing a bet. A lot of sharp minds today liking Luke Rockhold in that minus 140 range. All right, final thing. Chris Weidman has his own show now on, on MSG, and are you a part of that? <laughs> I, I'm not a part of it. I think he's doing something with the Islanders. For uh, He might okay. be the commentator, or he's got a, a show. I know the Islanders were in here a couple of weeks ago, and we had a lot of fun with them. Uh, I was here for that, but no, I'm not part of the part of that show. But uh, he's uh, he's a big hockey fan, and I think uh, – I yeah, I don't really know that much about it besides that. I think it's called Wide, Wide World of Weidman. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I, I think so. I'm not I'm not even sure if they came up All if right. they picked that name. I know that was in the running, but uh it's definitely a show on MSG where he's interviewing uh the Islanders and he's part of that uh hockey thing for sure. All right, well get the name for us. That's your homework for next week and we'll plug it again. <laughs> uh always I, good to see I, you, man. I, I you look I, great. I was leaning towards wild wild wide world of white. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Anything yeah. else? You sound like my four year old, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Peter I love Peppa, you. Pick the Pekka, pa, 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 pa. I don't know. There you go. It's Johnny, you know, are you attacking me today? <laughs> you know, yeah, Super Bowl Ray, losses. Ray, it's, right, I mean, you, you got to slap this you, guy. Yeah, you two communists, you're upset because your team lost, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we are. We're a little, we're a little uh, angry today, yeah. Let Super Bowl losses are the man. worst, man. You know, we, yeah, we had the first amateur ring of combat in New York uh, over the weekend, and uh, – our MMA guys had a clean sweep for the amateurs, which was Ooh, good. But nice. let me tell you something. When they played that national anthem, man, wow. <laughs> that place was electric, man. People <laughs> standing up. Their shoulders <laughs> were back. And I think somebody said, where's Kaepernick? And another guy said, I think he's taking his shit. But that's about <laughs> – that. it was a great moment for the team. And, man, I'll tell you, that national anthem won over big guys. Big, oh, big. Well, Everybody was I, I think next week we're just going to bring you in with the national anthem as the backdrop. I think you've earned as much. Uh, thanks for bringing oh, it as you. always, my man. Awesome, buddy. All right, listen, guys, have a good time. You guys, are you guys going to Australia? I'm yes. Not. I, I leave Wednesday. I get there, I think, Saturday or Sunday. So uh, looking oh, forward wow. to it. Awesome, buddy. Hey, listen, have a great time, and uh, we're on for next Monday. Yes, sir. Thank you very See much, you right. my man. Perfect. Kenny. Great. Great. Log <laughs> Take it. Uh, see you, Ray. He's awesome. banging on Colin he's Kaepernick. Not... Gotta be careful, Ray. Uh, banging on he's Colin brutal. Kaepernick. Ray, does, he's not scared of anything. 
Uh, so we actually will not be on next Monday. Probably a good time to okay. tell you that. I'll be on my way back from Perth. It's like no 35 excuses. hours door to door. So maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. Definitely, though, we'll be pushing out a fresh show next week because Cerrone and Medeiros are coming up in Austin, Texas, Sunday, February 18th. So we will be here, uh, God willing, one way or another, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Uh that's all for today. Mercifully, we got through this show, Ken Flo. Thank you to our guests, Brian Stan, Paul Felder, Steve Becker, Gam Blue, of course, Ray Longo on the way out. You you on the desk this weekend, kid? We just hit that May Rocky Beach. Oh, we are? Okay. Yes, yep. sir. Pay-per-view, you're bringing a big gun. So <laughs> UFC 221, Ken Flo on the desk. Tell the wardrobe people at Fox you need the skinny suit. I yeah. can tell you need the skinny and suit. The skinny tie. Yeah. Skinny tie. Um. I don't think you'll become a father before we speak next week, but I wish you guys the best. You never crunch know. Time. You never know. The the wife. It seemed like the the baby wanted to break out of prison this morning. She was yeah. she was banging on the door. I think so. Oh. Yeah, we're we're getting close, man. Thank you. All right. Well, I wish you all the best. May RockyBJJ.com. Don't forget that executives class in the AM. Uh, thanks to our Fox Sports team, Ben, Janko, Danny, and everybody else, Neil Foley. Uh, with that, for the flow, I'm John Anik. As always, we appreciate y'all listening. We will talk to you. In eight days or so. Until then, you'll later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.